Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone. How are y'all doing today? We were going to see if we got into double figures who would be online screens, that is, not people, but screens Yeah, we today. can't see people. And we've gone past yeah, it. Yeah, Whoa. we didn't really know how many people would come here today on the afternoon of July 3rd, but y'all all get gold, star, gold stars. Gold stars. You know, if we weren't leaving on vacation, we probably wouldn't have had class today. But hey, we are going to be gone next week. In fact, let me pull up the announcement i'll put this up again remember there's no we can't meet on the next three mondays yes. the 10th the 17th and the 24th because we leave on the 10th and return on the 27th yes from this we vacation do. this will be one of our longest times to be away actually right because we have a day at each end we do um we do. just because the tra trying to travel now is impossible it is trying to afford travel now is it's impossible, impossible. <laughs> so so really i tried my you very did patty's a very using, good shopper we're using all kinds of points that yes. we could airline points hotel points, points everything we could find scraping together and a great value on the cruise yeah but, yeah um, all thanks to patty's shopping skills but um Anyway, it's you know we're we're so excited about going away, but we really we really do miss you yeah, guys. We do. When absolutely. We're gone. We talk about it every day. Obviously, um, our life revolves so much around St. Andrew. Um, truly, I mean, we we have us. We have a few friends, maybe that don't go to St. Andrew. We have our families. Wait, wait, can name one? They don't live in Texas. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Our entire oh yeah, those, those those buddies in Paris or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, no, I meant like you know New York or Georgia or yeah. Florida. Old school but, chums. Yeah, um, but you know it's um, really it's all of you guys. Yeah. Our life revolves yeah. around St. Andrews. It's so a great much, life. And it's a great way it to is. be. It is. So we are. Uh, we're we're yes, it's true. We have family, but you know they're all living their lives and. So yeah, yep. Anyway, there we go. So Very hi good. guys. <laughs> yeah, Fourth of July tomorrow. Yep, yep. So I was very disappointed before. We we no. live in a community where there is a golf course. We're not members of the golf course, but we live in a community where there is. And for years and years and years, everybody who lives in our community goes down to watch the big fireworks that they're doing at the clubhouse. We've been able to just walk just onto the Just kind of walk down course. into the rough on the ninth hole. And there are hundreds and hundreds of people. And I think everybody's pretty cautious and um, polite. polite and picks Careful. up all their stuff when they go home. I don't ever remember seeing anything there. But I just came back from lunch and they have it roped off with orange plastic fencing, which means keep off the golf course. I think that they might... They might find the crowds overwhelm that plastic orange. I have a feeling people are just going to step fencing. around it or pull I think it down. They might well. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. We'll know. see. Fortunately, we can we can see a lot of it from, from right around our house, given yes. where our house is. But yeah, our so, grandkids will not think it's nearly as much fun yeah. sitting on our de not even a deck, oh, our the patio. patio. Yeah, they and, won't. They yeah. won't like that as much. But so. I kind of like that. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're only one step away from air conditioning, aren't yeah, you? That's Oops, it. There we are. That's it. All right. Okay. Should we start today? I think we should. Okay. Well, would you join us in prayer, please? Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here on this July 3rd. Um, and we are grateful for the freedoms that um, 
you have blessed us with in this great country and we are we are we are we are privileged to be born where we have been born and we know that and uh, we we pray as we do every week when we gather that um, your spirit will open up these words for us we come to a couple of at least one tough topic today that's people find challenging and and just help us make our way through it and strive to hear jesus well all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. Let me move okay. on over to the other side. How's your temperature in here? Is it good for you? Maybe lower one degree. Okay. This one you know, it is in here. 77. Wow. Is that what it said on it? Is that what the temperature the actually temperature is? The temperature in here is 75. So I just yeah. put it on 74. Yeah, the thermostat in this room, for some reason, it's a little messed up, but I don't know. Okay, so we are going to start Mark chapter 10, verse 1. We stopped right there last week. We may have ended a few minutes early. I don't know, but we were venturing into a whole new topic there um, on divorce. So I didn't want to get just a tiny way into that and have to stop. So that's where we are. Mark chapter 10, verse 1. And... I don't want to make any preparatory comments. I just want to plunge in, and we will let Scripture um, lead us in this, okay? I am so sorry, Scott. Can you say that again? Mark 10, 1. Mark 10, 1. Nice right there. Easy. Divorce. Yeah. Probably got a subheading there. We do. Divorce. Divorce. Yeah. All right. So Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. So let's look at the map that I brought um, that will help us to see what we're talking about. Of course, Capernaum up there at the, on the northwestern shore is the standard area where Jesus operates in, in, during his public ministry. And now he is going to go southward from the Sea of Galilee, that wide arrow, southward to the area of Perea, which is on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And that is largely a Jewish area, um, particularly the closer you get to the Dead Sea down there. Um, uh, the Decapolis to the north of that on the eastern side is a largely a Gentile area. The Tetrarchy of Philip is more Gentile as well. So Jesus is going to make his way toward Jerusalem. He probably took a path that um, brought him to the south in Galilee, crossed over um, into the Decapolis, stayed right there on the Jordan River, and walked down the Jordan River to Perea. Um, and that's, I'm guessing that's where he is, though it's not named. It just says across the Jordan. So there we go, in the region of Judea. There we go, across the Jordan. And then again, crowds of people came to him. Of course they did. And as was his custom, he taught them. Of course he did. He's always receptive to the crowds. He doesn't really chase them away, even though he does have to remove himself sometimes and, and to get some solace, some peace, uh, to pray uh, to the Father. But he is... You know, there are passages where he looks across the crowds and what does he what does he feel for these crowds? He feels compassion. 
He feels compassion for them because they are like a flock who's had, a, who's had nothing but bad shepherds. And now he will be their good shepherd. So, now verse 2. Some Pharisees came, of course, because remember the Pharisees, the scribes, they are really tracking on Jesus now. They are really tracking on him. They want to hear what he has to say, and they are, they, they realize that the crowds are going to Jesus, and they don't like it. And so they come to test him all the time, trying to, trying to trip him up somehow. So Pharisees came, and they tested Jesus, and here's what they asked him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus replies to them, Well, what does the law of Moses say to you? What did Moses command you? Okay, it's the law of Moses, it's called. What did Moses command you? Because Moses is the one who brings the law down from the top of Mount Sinai. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away, the wife. Very much a one-sided thing. It is very much a patriarchal culture. Things have changed immensely since the time of Moses, but still it's a very patriarchal culture in Jesus' day. And men have rights women don't have. And so for the Pharisees, whose whole reason for being is to call the people to keep the law of Moses, the answer is fairly straightforward for them. You know, in the law of Moses, there is this ability to divorce for the man to basically send his wife away. And then Jesus says, and here is where we get to your, the... Your map's still there. Okay, thank you, Patty. So Jesus says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Now that's really an important idea. Lots of times people come to Scripture and they see described in Scripture or prescribed in Scripture the way that God would hope we would live. Okay? But we don't. And so oftentimes in Scripture there are, made, there are provisions for that because, you know, we... Even when we know what we should do, we often still don't do it. And it's very easy to focus on the, I'm going to use the word sin, on the sins that people can see, right? So, you know, a husband sending his wife away, or that's something everybody can see. Stealing is something that people can see. They can't see, like, coveting what your neighbor has, which is the Tenth Commandment. That's, that's a matter of the heart, and it's really invisible to people. So the, the focus is on, well, you know, did you eat shrimp or bacon on the food laws and whatever. So, so there are things in the law that God has prescribed because God knows that God is dealing with a sinful people. You know, God's a realist. God doesn't pretend we're not sinful. God doesn't pretend that we fail to love God and love others. God is clear-eyed about that. Christians should be clear-eyed about that. There's a, there's a school of writing in the 20th century um, called Christian Realism. Um, and we Christians are never to have on rose-colored glasses. 
Never. We are to see the world as it is. We're to see the truth as it is. Even when it's hard, even when it hurts, we want to see things as they actually are, um, including the truth that there is something wrong with humanity. There's a darkness in the human heart. So, Jesus says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. But, and now he's going to make sure that they understand what God's intention is. Because what we should always be striving for is God's intention, which, I could, which I'll, I'll express by saying God's hope for us that we will understand this and live this. So Jesus says, but at the beginning of creation, God, quote, made them male and female. So he is going where with that quotation mark here in the English? There are no quotation marks in the Greek, but, you know, the translator is the right to put the quotation marks there. Where is he going? He's going right back there to Genesis 1. The very Genesis 1 and 2 are so foundational for everything that comes after if you don't get those two chapters and then the third chapter, the story of the rebellion that follows, you're going to be kind of lost, swimming around, unconfused and uncertain from that point on. Because right at the beginning, we know that God created everything that there is. If it exists, God created it. If it has ever existed, God created it. If it will ever exist, God created it. And God pronounces it all good. Fundamental, right? Yes. That the problems of this world were not God's intention. They are a result of the rebellion. The deep problems. The world is wild. God tells the humans they're going to have to tame it. There's a dynamism in this world which we see expressive lots of ways, including weather and stuff like that, but the, the, those are not the big problems that consume human, human, humankind. It is, it is what we do to each other and warfare and our city streets and the rest of it. But God made it good, and he did create male and female, this, this binary, okay? This, this binary of male and female is grounded in creation and it characterizes God's creatures not all there are a few the word is hermaphrodites hermaphroditic creatures are creatures who within themselves contain both male and female freaky earthworms are one there's probably few others there's always exceptions that prove the rule okay but male and female that characterizes humans it characterizes dogs cats canaries goldfish and the rest of it, I guess, right? Something like that. At the beginning, God made them male and female. Okay? Quote, again, quoting, this is from the first two chapters. Then Genesis chapter 2, actually. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Quote, close quote. So he, Jesus says, look, let's go back to the beginning. God made them male and female. Now, there is an inherent problem 
in God's decision to make them male and female. Pretty much, I would have to look at chapter one, but I'm going to venture out and say that the pretty, pretty close to the first thing God tells them to do is to be fruitful and multiply. Neither the male nor the female can carry out that command. So it is not logical. It is not sensible. It is not reasonable. God can't just look at the male and the female and say, well, go be fruitful and multiply. They, they are both incapable of, of reproducing, right? I mean, I, I took, took biology. <laughs> Most of us did. They're, they're incapable of it. So, how does it happen that this, this pulling the humans into this creator, it, it, pulling the humans into God's creative work, just think how beautiful this is. God is the creator. God wants to pull the humans into God's creative work for the creation of children. But to do that, in the way that God has created the male and the female, they have to come together. And they have to come together to make one flesh, what now we would call a sexual union, right? That's how it happens. Robert George up at Princeton has written beautifully about this. And he says, you can almost think of this as this, this one flesh and creates, creates like, like a new, new organism that is capable of reproducing. One flesh, one flesh. Um, and for Jesus, that is the starting point in understanding all things about human sexuality in Jesus. Of course it is. It, it's, it's the very beginning of the whole story. It is, it is what you have to do. It's what Paul goes to when he's confronted with issues of the men going off to have sex with the prostitutes or husband abusing their wives. When he wants to get it to the fundamental structure of um, marriage, of human sexuality, Paul also goes to the same place Jesus goes right here, this one fleshness. And so the, the male and the female, um, they will leave their parents and they will be united in this one fleshness and they will create children. It's the most, it's the most powerful gift that God has given us. Sure, we build giant buildings and there are great paintings and the rest. But we have the power as humans, male and female together, to, to create more humans. These sentient, thinking, loving beings who are to love God and to love others just as we are. It's staggering. We, we take it for granted, of course, because it's just part of how things are and it's biology. But this far, this transcends biology in a way that it's so far above the biology of this. You see, this is what people don't understand, so many don't anymore, about human sexuality. Human sexuality... I'm not sure I understand. Uh -oh. That is so funny. <laughs> Siri just said she doesn't understand. Well, 
I bet she doesn't. Okay, so I'm gonna make sure. I don't know what. I'm turning on Do Not Disturb. But I don't know if they make her you keep quiet or not. You said something that sounded like her name. Yeah, I guess so. So it's it's people just we we've lost we've lost this truth. The subjective truth. I'm not talking about your truth or my truth or any of that kind of crap. The subjective truth about the nature of God's creation, about the nature of humanity, the nature of humanity, the nature, and and we are, human sexuality is not like sex between dogs or cats or whatever. It's not. This is a gift from God that pulls the humans into the creative project and makes them one and the husband and the wife become one flesh. And so Jesus then goes on to talk about um, a priceless technology moment. Yeah, Lynn, we're not going to do too well with some of this stuff. Therefore, Jesus says, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Words people have heard in countless marriages for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years um, in Christian marriage. It is... I want to say put asunder. Put asunder. That's such a Yeah, put term. asunder. Put, to put asunder is to separate. Let no one separate, let no one put asunder, let nobody tear apart, whatever it might be. It's the idea that the husband and wife are one flesh. Now, just just, to, just as long as we're here, I want to illustrate how, how deep this is. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, one problem they are having is that the men are insisting upon still going to see temple prostitutes. And Paul writes to them, and he says to them, you must stop. Do you not realize that when you go to see this temple prostitute and you have sex, you are creating one flesh with that woman and you are pulling, thereby, you are pulling her into the body of Christ. It's not just an act like two dogs or something out there. It's not like that at all. You're pulling her into the body of Christ. When Paul is writing to the Ephesians, he writes to the husbands who are in some way being abusive of their wives. It doesn't have to be physical, but maybe some of it is. I don't know. And he says, don't you understand that when you abuse your wife, you're abusing yourself because you are one flesh. And he too quotes, in both those places, Paul quotes these same verses from, from uh, the scroll of Genesis. And it's, 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 it's just far more profound and really sacred than, than I think people allow. And Jesus just says, therefore what God has joined together, um, let no one separate this one fleshness. Well, the disciples are hearing all of this. So verse 10, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he, and he answered them. Now this is Mark's gospel. This is the first of the, earliest of the gospels to be written. 
Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her because the divorce doesn't end the one fleshness. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery because the divorce does not end the one fleshness. The one fleshness is like forever. Now, like, wow, okay. So here's the fascinating part. If we find the parallel, I'm not going to find it right now, but if we found the parallel passage in Matthew, we would see that in Matthew what Jesus is, says is, he says the same thing except for adultery, he says. Right? Except for adultery. Which I think is what? What, what is that exception for? In, as the Christian community is, is remembering Jesus and sharing his teachings, that exception is an accommodation to the, to the oftentimes brokenness of humanity. I've been divorced. It would not have been God's hope for me that I would be divorced. It's certainly not anybody's think not anything anybody's thinking about on the day they get married, right? I mean, on the day you get married, I mean, you think this is going to be forever. And so, when the marriage fails, it is it's a tragedy. And I, I know there are times that people want to celebrate their divorce, but I'm, I'm not. I don't think that's really it. I mean, a divorce is hard. Divorce is the hardest thing, the hardest thing I ever went through. And it was, but it, and and you're re, I guess you're relieved when you get through some of that pain, but it's not to be celebrated. It it it, it is it marks it marks our brokenness. It is expression of our of our sin. And people get real comfortable when I say stuff like that. Scott, are you calling divorce a sin? Well, I, I guess I am, but you gotta understand, sin is commonplace. It's not like in this one little part of our lives, you know, oh, I'm gonna do something God would hope I wouldn't do, but oh, or, or shouldn't do, or hope it hadn't gotten there, or whatever it might be. But oh, in every other part of my life, um, I'm perfectly good. I'm good to go. That's not it. I don't know. It's 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 a difficult thing, and um, you know the Catholic Church has always known that they needed to have provisions for divorce because of human brokenness, but they weren't comfortable doing it because of a sentence like this. So instead, what did they do? You and I, you probably know this, that they would annul marriages. That they would say, find some reason to say the marriage had never actually taken place, and hence, there was no need for a divorce. Well, that is a, that's an escape route also. And for me, you just need to be honest about about this. I, I, I don't see that that adds anything because the point here is the power of the sake of, of the one fleshness. Um, oh gosh, 
what's her name? Sarah Rudin is a young scholar. She's not a, she's not a biblical scholar. She's a scholar in the classics, meaning that she is an expert in Greek and in Latin and in translating famous works like the Aeneid or other ancient writings by the great Greek authors or um, Roman authors into English. And she wrote a book about her reaction to reading Paul, in Greek, of course. And she says, you know, in Paul, he emphasizes one thing a lot, and we always take it simply to mean something like having sex outside marriage, um, and we translate it, you know, like fornication or something. But she says, no, that's not really it. This, this Greek word pornea is deeper than that. This Greek word pornea is, 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 powerfully tied to prostitution. And so at its root, what Paul is getting at is that you can't treat anybody like an object. And sure, that often happens when it comes to sexual matters, but it's really in all matters. You can't treat people like objects. And um, certainly, this is my, maybe my, I don't think it's my age, it would seem to me that for, for too many people in our world, they see sex as simply an outlet, a romp, um, a way to possibly begin to get to know somebody. So maybe you could think and see if you actually wanted to have coffee. And that is all backwards, right? It, it is, it is, um, it's easy, at, at least for men, I've only been a man, so it's easy for men to objectify women. Um, any man who would tell you that's not true is lying to you. It is easy for men to do that. But it's wrong. And it's something that men have to, have to outgrow, I guess, and understand about, about, about themselves. And so it's just this, it's, the essence here is, is between what God hopes for us and yet these provisions that are made for human brokenness. So should a divorce ever be undertaken lightly? Ah, who cares? I'm tired. It's been, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, it's been 18 months and I'm falling, I'm falling out of love. I got to find somebody else to fall in love with. Is that the, I, no. <laughs> Divorces, divorces is, is tragedy, never, never casual. So I've said about all, I think I should probably stop there. So Patty, yes. anybody have anything they want to add? You, Patty, want to add anything? Hull just put, if the marriage never happened, what do you call the children of that union? Ah, well, in the old days, what did you call children of a marriage that never happened? You called them bastards, right? I mean, that was the word, right? Such an ugly word. It is. That is just such an ugly word. And, um... Well, the sad thing is, it's such an ugly word, and the child who was called that name, this awful name, that was due to nothing that that child ever yeah. did. And, and I, I don't want to say it like I'm an expert on Roman Catholic annulments, okay? I'm sure if there are Roman Catholic priests in here, he can inform us all a lot about the history of Roman of, of annulments in the church and so forth. I'm just saying that annulment 
was a way to um, try to deal with human brokenness in marriage. And there are things that can happen in a marriage that would mean that the marriage tragically should end. Illegitimate, Susan is, yes. Susan would say then they became illegitimate. I don't know how that actually played out in in life. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just ignorant because I've never been Roman Catholic. As well as always being a man, I've always been a Protestant of some stripe. Okay, anybody else want to type anything in there? Patty, do you want anything to that little exposition on marriage, divorce, human sexuality, reproduction? The key to take away is prompt for me. In the world we live in today, the power and sacredness of that one fleshness. Sex is not nothing. It's something very powerful. Patty and I saw a special on TV many years ago now where they were interviewing eighth graders who were having sex. And this one boy, one eighth grade boy said, there's something still there in his connection to this girl. It wasn't just an act um, like two dogs. There's something deep in connection. There's something mysterious about it. Something that is not about biology, but about anthropology, about what it means to be human. Okay. All right. Well, let's go on then. Okay, Patty? Yes. Okay. Yes, I was just looking up some statistics of single-parent families in America today, and the numbers are just shocking. It's, sta it's staggering. They're, it's absolutely shocking. Yeah, it's out of control, and it's... it's. And, of course, because of that, they're, the percentages of being poor, being food insecure, being unemployed the entire year, receiving... Not finishing food, high school. Not finishing high school. Big, big one. No health insurance. It, it's just such a sad, sad state. It is. Yep. 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 You got it. Okay. But so. it's, it's very commonplace, and I, I honestly do Patty's little tooth sense in here. I think Please. what's happened in the last 10 or 15 years, maybe a little before that, is Hollywood and, and American TV and British TV, because we watch both, has made it so common that a good majority of shows we have watched and enjoyed are families where there is a single mom, almost always. Look what we're watching right now. Um, it's right, it's just, wow. And yes, yes, and, and well, we, we, yes. When you yes. see that all the time, and to young people growing up, it's not a stigma anymore at all to, you right. know, it, it's right. something that is made um, not only commonplace, but actually presented in such a way that it's a glamorous thing. Right. Right? So if anybody on, you know, in class today wants to read about this, there's an author named Mary Eberstadt, E-B-E-R-S-T-A-D-T who has written some important things about families um, and outcomes and so forth. And I think she wrote a book called like How the West Was Lost. 
clever title. Wow. Um, so title. anyway, she's she's you know there's certain people kind of always worth reading. If I find an essay by Mary Eberstadt, I'll read it. Heather McDonald's another one. I'll read her. They're very often very kind of countercultural, and so forth. Be, and but they speak a lot of truth. Hope. Paul just made a little comment. That's one of the reasons, I guess, he left the Catholic Church. Well, okay. Thank you, Hall. All right. So let's go on to verse 13. Children. Okay. So people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. Because the parents of these children want blessings for their children, right? Children were not valued highly in ancient, the ancient world at all. They were sort of less than persons, but not as much, not so much so for the parents. So parents are bringing their little children to Jesus for him to place their hands on them. But disciples rebuke them. Why do they rebuke them? Because these are children. This is, in the ancient world, they were a nuisance, an annoyance. They were costly. You didn't want to become too attached because they died young, on and on. I think I talked about this in the he last did. week or yes, two. Yes. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, indignant at this, as he should have been. And he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Truly, I tell you, um, in there, in in the cultures of the around the Mediterranean, nobody owed you the truth unless they were at your station or above. In in the socioeconomic structure of the wow. day. Yeah, so that's why Jesus is always saying, "Verily, verily, I tell you the truth." I tell you because he's not obligated to tell the truth to these people in their culture, but he is telling them the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So, I think that verse has been much misunderstood, often to carry this idea. You know, that we just need to have simple little minds and a simple little faith. We don't ask too many questions. And we don't, you know, we're, we're happy with a very superficial cursory reading of Scripture just kind of bouncing along the lily pads as, as the pages go by. You know, that's not what it is. Does that make sense? Was that really? Does that really make sense? Paul, who is... Paul says to the Corinthians, you know, I want to give you meat, but you're you're like little children. I can only give you milk. You need to grow up. He says you're like little children. You you're like little boats, little paper boats on a on a on a lake that just get blown to and fro. Grow up, grow up, grow up. Well, because Jesus isn't talking about not growing up. He isn't talking about taking your brain your intellect and turning it off and setting it aside and just coming like a little bouncing sheep to all of this, bouncing lambs to all of this. But what he is saying is a direct and hard truth. 
the what mark one thing that marks because look at the word receive in there truly i tell you anyone who will not receive the kingdom of god like a little child will never enter it receiving is something that children are really good at have you noticed show up with a gift for a four-year-old is there any question do they not just take it from your hands and rip into it to see what it is they are they are cheerful they are cheerful receivers they are happy to take this they don't have any sense of obligation to you they don't run into the closet to see if they have something they could give you they don't say oh oh gosh you shouldn't have i don't deserve oh 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 no no they don't do any of that they just receive it gladly tear open the paper to see what's in the box we adults though are not cheerful receivers we're not every time you know somebody gives us something we feel immediately an obligation to somehow pay it back it's christmas time somebody shows up with a what's a gift for us it's kind of unexpected you know so we run into the closet we have some untagged but wrapped gifts that are sort of general maybe a fruitcake no <laughs> no no fruitcake no. no you should have had my mother's fruitcake my mother would make fruitcake she would wrap it when she had made it like in august she would wrap it in cloths cloths that had been soaked in rum and then she would inject more as the next few months went by using a hypodermic into her cakes so we all enjoyed them <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot i must say so anyway so we go into our closets we get out these little presents we don't want to feel ob we feel obligated oh my look what you gave oh no 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 you can't I, I i can't pay you back for this we may not say those words but we're kind of feeling them at the time we are not cheerful receivers i find adults are much more cheerful 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 givers which kids aren't so much but that's not what jesus is, is saying he says truly i tell you anyone who will not receive the kingdom of god like a child will not enter it we adults don't know much about being cheerful receivers and the point is this the gift that god has given us by grace is something that could never be repaid we don't deserve it it's god's outright gift poured across us like a big bucket of gift just poured over our head you can't do anything you can't say anything all the only proper response is to be thankful it doesn't carry any obligation with you there's there's nothing that you have to do in return i remember remember when arthur preached a sermon a few weeks ago jesus plus something is nothing there's no something waiting when this gift is poured out on you it is simply god's gift and i would submit that is something adults have a very that very difficult time with we want to think that we do earn our way into god's good graces oh i've been good enough i've seen these surveys countless times over the years 
survey Christians. Ask them how many. Ask them, do you think that you've um, done enough good to get into heaven? Something like that. Mm -hmm. A majority of Christians are going to tell you yes. They don't stop you and say, well, you've missed the point entirely. That's not what this is about. I can't do enough good. It's, a, it's an outright gift from God. As Paul writes, you know, it's, 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 it's by God's grace so that nobody can boast. We can't boast about it. If you do, if, if you do something, you, you can boast about it, but you don't. It's just, it's just God's grace poured out on you. And that is very hard for adults. And I think that's, that's, that's what Jesus is about here. Telling the disciples, look, you've, you've got to receive the kingdom of God like a little child. If you're going to participate in the kingdom of God, you have to understand that what I'm bringing is a gift. You couldn't possibly earn a golden ticket. <laughs> I'm just giving you one. I'm just giving you this golden ticket. That's what it is. I've preached, I've preached a sermon on this several times over the course of the last couple decades when this scripture passage has come up. I think it's very powerful and one to reflect upon. Um, and the scripture passage comes alive when you kind of think about adults needing to be cheerful receivers, not cheerful givers. We're okay with that. We do a pretty good job. Cheerful receivers. So, okay, and then verse 16. And so, of course, Jesus took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Of course he did. You know, it's, it's, it's the human culture of their day that diminishes the value of children. It isn't God who diminishes the value of children. God doesn't actually diminish the value of anyone. We are all made in the image of God. The great verse from, from John's Gospel is what? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It isn't like, oh, you know, here, here are the zip codes <laughs> that God gave his son for, or here's the this or the that or the, the skin color, the sexual orientation, the education levels, whatever we might want to think. Nope, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And all we can do is receive that gift. That gift right there. The gift of his son. Paul writes to the um, Corinthians, I think. And he says, look, you were bought for a price. And that price can't be repaid because that price is the suffering and pain of Jesus who endured all the way to death, even death on a cross. So That's why grace can never be cheap grace. Right? That's right. Grace can't be cheap. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote so well about that. Cause it's never cheap. Just think of think think of the cost of the gift that God has given us. The cost to Jesus. Okay? Any thoughts? Anybody? Wanna type anything? <laughs> <laughs> no? Okay, well, we'll press on. They're still hanging in there with you, though. They're honey. still hanging in, baby. <laughs> I'm going to have a sip of coffee here so you can ruminate on things for a minute. Ruminate, okay. Ruminate. I know, that's, yeah. that's an old word. 
I have lots of old words. You sure do. Do <laughs> you know why I have lots of old words? Because you're old. Exactly. But, but not you, too old. But they're good words. They are good words. You should work up. People should work on growing the voice. One of the... Oh, I don't need to go on this too long. But one of the glories of the English language is how many words we have. We have all kinds of words. Other languages don't. But we have taken words from the French and from the Romans and from the Greeks and from the Anglo-Saxons and long, long words and short words. And sure, there's a lot of synonyms or closest, but we have a glory of words in the English language, an overabundance of words in the English language. Up on my shelves up there, I have an abridged, a shorter Oxford English Dictionary. Volume A, Volume B, it's just the little abridged version of like the 12 volume Oxford English Dictionary. Um, so, whew, yeah. So, word of the day calendars are good. They're fun. I had a boss once that, I was, I was new, he was my boss. I wasn't sure what my job really was and the word came up on my calendar one day, it said Myrmidon. M-Y-R-M-I-D-O-N. I bet um, Susan knows what it is. Myrmidon. M-Y-R-M-I-D-O-N. So I ripped the word off and I went in to see Robin. I said, Robin, this is this is my job. I'm your Myrmidon. <laughs> he says, oh, really? I said, yeah, Myrmidon. One who executes without scruple his or her master's commands. Oh, God. <laughs> that's not <laughs> I, a I said, now, we got to fix this scruple part here. But yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> Because it's kind of like if you're in like in the mob, okay? Yeah. Like um, I'm Tony Soprano had myrmidons. All right, enough of that. On to another another piece, another story here. See how Mark is stringing together these pieces for us. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him and said, "Good teacher," the man asked, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" Now, Mark hasn't told us anything about the man, right? So, let's respect Mark, the way he's writing this story. He's telling this encounter, which you do meet in the other Gospels. He's doing it his way. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. And he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So, the first thing Jesus does is point the man toward God. He says, why do you call me good? No. Nope. No one is good except God alone. It, it's, I, I think, I don't think it's a deep piece of theology. It's just a deflection that points the person to God because Jesus is about to tell him what God's commandments are. It really doesn't, it, for this purpose, it doesn't matter whether Jesus is good or not. Because Jesus is going to say, here's, here's what God's commands are. And you know them. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. In those which come from the so-called Ten Commandments, he, Jesus, is referring to the law, which is all about how to love God and how to love others that God gave the Israelites. So, 
the man says, teacher, the man declares. Kind of a strong word. Not just he said in the Greek, he declares. Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now I'm telling you, when the man said, all of these I have kept since I was a boy, what do you think happens at least internally in Jesus? I think his eyes roll into the back of his head. He knows full well that nobody has kept the law since, he, since they were a little boy or a little girl. We can hardly keep it since yesterday, might be his answer. So, oh my gosh, this is, this is a very unself-aware person. And maybe we'll understand that lack of, selfness, lack of self-awareness better in a minute. So the man says, this is all we know about it. The man says, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Well, Jesus, you know, I, I lost, I scooted to a, went to the wrong page when I was using my iPad here, but I'm, I'm almost there. The man says, teacher, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Well, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He loved him, of course he did. I think Jesus' eyes are rolling upward and Jesus is loving him at the same time. Jesus knows the man is not self-aware. He knows the man, this can't be true. He knows it's not true. It's not true of a single person Jesus meets. Regardless, Jesus loved him. And then he said to him, and I think he says this in a very, in a, uh, what, what I call a very pastorly kind of voice. Kind of softly, maybe a little bit of tenderness in it. He says, one thing you lack, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven then come and follow me. Very straightforward, but embedded is, is this enormous challenge. And because verse 22, with this, uh, the man's face fell. You could just see it in his whole countenance. His face falls, his shoulders fall. He stoops over. He went away sad. Just so sad. Why? Because he had great wealth and he knew he wouldn't get rid of any of it. Not all of it. Not any of it. He had great wealth. I think that wealth probably helps to account for the man's lack of self-awareness. In the ancient world, one, there were competing viewpoints on wealth. Okay, on the one hand, a person who's wealthy could see themselves as having been extraordinarily blessed by God. I'm wealthy. Other people aren't. God must really love me because God is, God is the first cause of all things. So there we go. On the other hand, in their world, wealth was a fixed, the, the wealth in society was a fixed pie because wealth was almost always tied to land in these agrarian economies. And land, there's only so much land to go around. So wealth was always viewed with great suspicion. 
by others because since wealth is fixed like a pie, if you had a big pie, it means you or your father or your father's father's, your father's father's father took it from somebody because it's just a fixed piece. Now we know differently now, right? We know if wealth is not fixed in that way like a, like a big pie, you can actually create wealth. We do that every year, every day, every month in America. The GDP grows, wealth is created. You know, Steve Jobs created enormous wealth with Apple. It, it's the deep insight, one of the deepest insights of Adam Smith, the wealth of nations, that wealth can be created. But the Adam Smith wrote that in 1776. So we're talking almost 2,000 years before here. So wealth was viewed suspiciously, but you, you know you couldn't escape this idea that, boy, he's rich, he's been blessed by God. Look at the story of Job. How is Job's wealth, wealth explained? He's been blessed by God. So those two competing things are going on at the same time. But this man, he is not prepared to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. So let me ask you, do you think God wants all of us to sell everything we have and give it to the poor? Do you think Jesus would come to us today and sell you, tell us we should sell everything we have and give it to the poor? Well, he might look at us and say, look, people, <laughs> you can do a lot better than you are. But I don't know that he would say sell everything you have and give it to the poor. When he meets short little Lazarus in Luke 19, when he meets Lazarus, who has gotten wealthy off the backs of other people because he's a tax collector, that's kind of how it worked, did Jesus tell him to go sell everything he had and give it to the poor? No. In fact, he didn't tell Lazarus anything like that. Lazarus volunteered to go back and re repay everybody che he cheated like twice over or something like that. So what's it with this man? Jesus tells Zacchaeus, honey, there. Zacchaeus. What I say? Lazarus? You said, you said little Lazarus that I was Oh, I'm yeah, yeah, sorry, my slurring. mistake. It's it's Zacchaeus. <laughs> There we go, Zacchaeus. Thank you, Lynn. Back it up a little bit and insert, find and replace Lazarus with <laughs> little, Zacchaeus. Well, you were calling him Little Lazarus. <laughs> it's a Little Zacchaeus. I think Robbie wants to do a song about Little Zacchaeus. He did. So anyway, thank you, Lynn. Um, but this man who was so boasting. Oh my gosh. Oh, I've kept all of those since I was a boy. Basically meaning that he has been this perfect keeper of the law of Moses in every possible way since he was a boy. How ridiculous. And now Jesus asks this one thing of him and it's the one thing the man won't do. The one thing the man won't do. I think the nature of the man's heart is shown. And he walks away, saddened. 
Does he become more self-aware? Does he decide he can get home and he's going to take at least half of what he has and give it to the poor? We don't know. We don't even have the man's name. All we know about him in Mark is that he's a guy, he's a dude, and he had great wealth. That's all we know. So Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, Oh, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Let's just stop right there. I could find websites that are going to go into these little doors and maybe a camel could get through them. No, that's not the point. Jesus is going to get to the point in a second. But the New Testament is filled with warnings about wealth, warnings to the wealthy, filled with them. I think there's something like, like in 2,000 places I've read. I don't, I don't know, but it's filled with them. Why? Because wealth, as this man, can make us very unself-aware, if that's a word. It, but worse, it can give us a deep sense of self-sufficiency and independence. Whereas, and blind <coughs> us to the truth that we are to be dependent upon God. We pray for our daily bread. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray for? Our daily bread. Um, it's much easier for people who are poor hungry, hurting, oppressed, to throw themselves upon God, crying for a rescue, crying for a savior, crying out for help. Um, but but not the rich. Look at the stories about the rich man and ha Lazarus. Luke 16. I did, did mean Lazarus that time. That time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I think there is a word here for us for us all, really. It's, it's um, you know, I grew up at a time, or at least in my family, where we were, a lot was said about growing up to be, you know, independent and your own bootstraps and financially independent and this and that, and not nearly enough was said about recognizing that all of our strivings are insufficient and you'll get to a point in your life when you realize that that's true when you realize there's problems you can't fix no matter how smart you are or how sufficient you self-sufficient you think you are and at those moments you do want to throw yourself upon God you do want to throw yourself upon God so Jesus is right. It's hard for people who have a lot of money to throw themselves upon Jesus and be cheerful receivers. Well, he said, Jesus says to them famously, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I would take that to be the hyperbole it is. It's hard to miss the intent. 
than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Well, the disciples are or even more amazed, and they said to each other, well, okay, so who can be saved? If, if this rich person over here, who has clearly been blessed by God, or they wouldn't be rich, if they can't be saved, well, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at him and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. This is not about how you can get yourself through the eye of a needle, much less a camel. It is about throwing yourself upon God and being that cheerful receiver. All things are possible with God. Paul writes, you know, we are saved by the grace of God so that nobody can boast. All things are possible for God. What we want to do is to reduce this to a list of things that we think are possible. Right? So you start with the enormity of God's grace and the enormity of this gift, and then you want to shrink it down to this list of things that we think we can pull off. You know, expecting that some of this is going to be good enough. That is exactly not the, not what Jesus is talking about. Entering the kingdom of God is not about what you do. It is about what God does. It is about what God does. And we resist that for lots of reasons. We like to be in charge. We like to be in control. All things are possible with God, he says to the disciples. And then Peter spoke up and he said, we left everything to follow you. Dot, dot, dot. I'll just make an aside here. You know, when, after Jesus is crucified and resurrected, they do go back to their fishing businesses. But anyway, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, verily, verily, I say unto you, right, in the King James, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And I can just leave. I can picture the disciples walking away, feeling a little bit, feeling a bit perplexed by all of that. As I think most readers do now. I mean, I feel a little bit perplexed when I come to those, to those verses. Because every person who puts their faith in Jesus doesn't end up with no. a, a windfall. No, they it just don't. It doesn't happen. They don't. So what, what does someone like N.T. Wright think about something like that? Do you know? I don't know. You know, but I've got, I've got three weeks to find out. Mm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You know, the, the, these verses really struck me this, this time. And, you know, oftentimes I'm, you know, reading, reading right ahead. N.T. Wright ahead. But in this case, I, I didn't I didn't check to see what he had what he had to say about this, but I will. Um, I'll hold you to it. Okay. I'm going to be with you on that trip. <laughs> 
verse 31, we sort of, we're going to sort of get, okay? Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. In the eyes of the world, the winners are the winners. But you see, in the eyes of God, the world's winners are often the last. God doesn't care about that stuff. God doesn't care that you have this giant bank account. That's not, that's not the way God sees things. That's not the way he values people. And the last first, it is, it is this world turned upside down. Right? It is Mary's song when she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. It is this world turned upside down. Where the very people on the bottom, the people like... Lazarus again, actually, um, Lazarus in the parable. This is the Lazarus I'm talking about here, Luke 16, I think. Lazarus in the parable. The world is turned upside down, and Lazarus finds himself in the arms of Abraham, and the rich man is, is lost. So when we come back in actually four weeks, it will, it will be July 31st. I think when we are able to meet, um, yeah. See, Lynn's no. This is what lies ahead. Is what Lynn just typed in. We are to be in service to others, not here to be served. You're going to see that that's where Jesus. That's where we're going to go in the next section. Okay, but we're not quite there yet. I mean, that that's where this is all pointing. So, because the next thing he's going to do is talk about his death and crucifixion and resurrection and then we're going to come to the time when two of his disciples are arguing about who gets to sit at Jesus's right hand man so anyway we will do that and I will read N.T. Wright in depth on chapter 10 right at that point and see what that wise man and a few others how about that because that's what you should really do right you really want N.T. Wright's not correct about it. He even says he's not right about everything. Well, we will have good in internet, we hope. And we're going to have a lot of time for discussion. Yes. yes. Now, I'm not saying I <laughs> won't have a strawberry daiquiri in my hand, but that's okay. <laughs> that is okay. All, all right. You. So. Thank you all for being here today. Um, if you normally come on Tuesday or listen on Tuesday, there is no class tomorrow. Because tomorrow is what day, Patty? It's really the 4th, 4th of, of July. July. So. And so then we miss the next three right. Tuesdays as we miss the next three Mondays. That's correct. And so the yep. week of July 31st, everything picks up normal, normal. That's right. However, we are here Sunday. Yeah, we're here, the, we're here the 20... No, no, this Sunday. This Sunday. This Sunday. We're here the 9th. And we're here... The Sunday after, right after we get back. Yes. Before classes resume. Yes, yes. Because so I'm a liturgist bee in both those services. I'll probably be. Uh, I'm the, bookending yes. my trip. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, yeah. But we'll be here this Sunday. Uh, yes. Scott will be doing his regular class. Yes. And then that Sunday night is the meeting for those who are going on the trip. On the Israel trip. Right. 5 p.m. Smith Worship Center. That's right. So, I'm um, so glad that you took time out of today to be here with us. Truly. Yes. We didn't know if anyone was going to show up, so we're glad grateful. you were here. We're very glad you're here, and hope you have a rest, uh, the rest of the day, and the, this Fourth of July celebration. Hope it's all good for you. So, would you close with me in prayer, please? 
Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much. We thank you for this time we get to spend together each week. And we ask you, God, to hold us all close um, as we're apart for a few weeks. I hope each of us will use this time to do just a little, maybe just a little Bible, Bible searching on our own, God, until we meet again and um, start right back up where we are in Mark 10. We pray, God, that you would keep us healthy and safe, and we pray, God, for our family and friends who have not put their faith in your son Jesus yet, Lord, for this to be that year. That is, that is our hope and our wish and our prayer, God. We thank you for our wonderful country. We pray, God, that you would help to restore it, and we pray, God, that you would just to help heal all the, all the man-made wounds we have, made, we have made in this country, Lord, right now but we know how blessed we are. We thank you, God, for the freedoms we enjoy every day, Lord. All this we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, adios, everybody. Bye, guys. Enjoy. Yep. Don't get too hot out there. See you on Sunday. Bye. Bye-bye.